Ready to rock? Ready to rock. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. What a Tuesday night it was. The primaries are over. There were some pretty big upsets. I was up until two in the morning. We had our watch party here at the office and by the end there were about four or five of us and we just kept hitting refresh not much change by the way <laughs> I was not up until two in the morning <laughs> after 11 you know we're tracking about 15 races and you know all elections are in play they should be taken seriously but we saw some giants fall on Tuesday night top of the list Madison Cawthorn I think a lot of folks thought a victory would be Senator Edwards brings him to a runoff, but Senator Edwards just blew right past him. And we had heard some, you know, that folks were feeling good about Senator Edwards, but man, what a crash that was for Congressman Cawthorn. And I I would like to say Congressman Cawthorn gave a very gracious concession to Senator Edwards. And uh, I hope this is the beginning of some turnaround for this young congressman. Wish him well. This week, we are going to sit down with Stephen Wiley of the House Republican Caucus, and we're going to go through the races. He's going to talk about the election, the impact on the general election. So we're not going to cover that in depth now, but tune in later in the podcast to hear that. Kind of hard to believe that a an election could overshadow what is the beginning of the short session which began Wednesday at noon and that got off to kind of an unceremonial start no fanfare no hoopla no bunting around the building it was just kind of like yep we're back But it was different because we went to the building and there is this sense of energy on the first day of session. Even though there weren't a ton of legislators there, there were a ton of lobbyists there. And a lot of classes, kids are back in school, so they're back at the General Assembly. So you saw kids everywhere. It was loud. It definitely wasn't the empty halls we've been seeing. We don't think session will really start to take off until what, Tuesday or Wednesday of next week? Yeah, the speaker announced in the House that they would be moving bills next week and there are possible votes Wednesday and Thursday. We were over on the Senate side for when Senate session started and it ended just as quickly as it started. And you said, are they even getting into session? I was like, it's already over. Yeah. You know, we're hearing some rumors on the timeline. Again, these are this is just a rumor section here. But unsubstantiated <laughs> rumors. <laughs> All, right. All right. So the first rumor, we've talked about it. And they're going to be out by June 30th. I think that's kind of the rumor every short session. Yeah, people really care. It's my mom's birthday that day, so mm-hmm. they'd like to take off. Our colleague, Christy Jones, who was in the building today, she just shared a rumor with us. She heard from a house member. That they will be taking two weeks off in June. Mm-hmm. That seems weird. It seems unlikely. Unlikely. But, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, if they don't get out by June 30th, it would be great if we could take that week off of July 4th. And if senators and representatives take the same week. Remember that session where the House took it one week and the Senate? It's like, 
That doesn't help us. Yeah. (laughs) Why are people thinking of us? (laughs) Think of the lobbyists. Right. Our families love us too. Does your family love you? (laughs) (laughs) That's not what your wife seemed to think this morning. Uh, Like I said, we, the watch party went till two in the morning. (laughs) So a lot of budget talk this week. And, And we should remind listeners out there that the short session really was intended to tweak the budget prior to the early 1970s. General Assembly just had a long session, just did that odd number a year, and then they let the governor do the tweaks in the second year. But 1972, something happened. We elected a Republican governor. So that's when short session began. And we heard a lot of talk today, some announcements coming around about the budget. That's right. And similar to what Leader Bell and Senator Chaudhary were saying last week, we do foresee the budget being the big issue. It is the issue of short session. And we had heard some rumors the last few weeks that it was going to be a conference report. And the speaker essentially substantiated those rumors today. He said on the House floor that the House and Senate would pre-negotiate the budget and then it would come out as a conference report. We have seen that in the past. And what that means is that it will come out in both chambers and there will be no amendments to the bill. I might be getting a little technical here, but have they decided what bill they are going to make this a conference report of? They may have decided that, but I don't know. They haven't let let us know. Okay. All right. It's really interesting. And it's another indicator that they are going to get out sooner rather than later. So as Sky said earlier in the podcast, this week we have Stephen B. Wiley, who is the House Caucus Director for the Republicans. He is sitting down with us to go through the races, give us some perspective and some analysis. Great guy, great conversation. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Stephen Wiley, the State House Caucus Director for the House Republican Caucus. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. First time, long time. And a major tweeter. (laughs) Been our tweet of the week a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. We are going to talk to you about the races in the primary and what that means for the general election. But to start us off, tell us about your job. What is your job exactly? Depends on the day, really. Uh, More or less... I'm there from start to finish with candidates, except for in primaries, because I'm neutral in primaries. But I recruit candidates, I help give them the tools they need to get their campaign started, and I'm there with them every step of the way through general election. Kind of like a fill-in-the-blank general consultant that supplements whatever any candidate needs. We're in a unique election this past primary because there's so much double bunking. Was it painful to see, especially in your party, friends fighting each other? Was that a hard thing? Incredibly painful, (laughs) especially because these are folks that I've worked with to help get elected. It's unfortunate because we lost a couple good folks just because of how the maps shook out. 
Yeah, we're going to go through some of those, and uh, we're going to focus mainly on the General Assembly. Our friend Jeff Tabiri over at WNC did a good job yesterday with some of the federal races, so let's drill down on some of the General Assembly races. I know you're the House Caucus Director, but the big headline coming out of Tuesday night was the race between Senator Ralph Heiss and Senator Deanna Ballard. Broadly speaking with that race, Senator Heiss had some of his existing counties, Senator Ballard had some of hers, and there were a couple that neither of them had had before, and there were a couple that Senator Ballard had had previously. So it was really just a question of, can they hold serve in their home court, and then can they go win the you know, quote, unquote, neutral court. She did so well in Watauga County. I think it was like 78 to 22%. But then I saw Watauga County really didn't have high numbers compared to some of the smaller counties. You mean there are not a lot of Republicans in Boone? <laughs> right. I, guess, I guess that's the case. I really like Senator Heiss and Senator Ballard. They both have been really excellent to work with uh, in, in my role. And I've enjoyed getting to know them over the years. And uh, I hope Senator Ballard is still involved in some capacity in North Carolina politics Mm -hmm. after this. Yeah. So the other Senate race that all North Carolina eyes were on was the race between Senator Kirk Devier and his challenger, Val Applewhite. The governor stepped into that race and Val Applewhite prevailed. What are your thoughts on that race? It makes me really sad for Cumberland County, Hmm. frankly, because Cumberland County is currently you could argue the most powerful delegation with 69 Republicans in the house, 28 in the Senate representative Richardson, representative Lucas, Senator Devier, Senator Clark have outsized influence on what passes. Mm -hmm. They're losing a lot of their firepower Mm -hmm. and it's a really favorable Republican environment. There's going to be Republican supermajorities in both chambers. Mm -hmm. It just, it is what it is. And they could have had Senator Devier, who would have been very formidable in the general election because of his uh, credentials of working across the aisle. And with a Republican supermajority in the Senate, they would at least have had someone that could have gotten some marginal concessions for some Democratic priorities. You know, I I don't want to speak ill of Governor Cooper because this is the Do Politics Better podcast. (laughs) Um, And I'm trying to be polite, but I... I think it's very short-sighted, and they have put Cumberland County in a bind. Um, I think former Senator Wesley Meredith has a much better chance at winning this November against Val Applewhite than he would have against Senator Devier, which is not a not to say that Senator Meredith wouldn't have put up a good campaign against Senator Devier by any means, uh, but it's just that pathway to victory is a whole lot easier for mm-hmm. Senator Meredith. So they cutting off their nose despite their face. This will probably benefit you, though, in November, right? Because let's say, Senator Meredith, win or lose, the governor just spent a half a million dollars to beat Devier. He's going to probably have to spend a million dollars to help Applewhite. That's money they're not going to be able to spend in races where there's contest, right? I I think money is less important than we we want it to be. Uh, it, It helps at the helps at the state legislative level. But the way politics are right now, 98% of how someone votes or how the electorate's going to vote is based on how much they hate whoever's in the White House. Okay. So there, it's that's the name of the game. And you have about a 1% to 3% margin that you can try and maximize. And there are exceptions here and there where you, you do have a, a candidate or a local issue that you can really exploit to 
expands that one to 3% margin. But for the most part, it's going to be based on national sentiment. I know I'm supposed to be talking about state races, but I mean, uh, it all, it all the, inter, inter, with, sex, right? with Sherry Beasley, everyone's like, Oh, well, this doesn't bode well that, uh, she, the, the democratic primary is already consolidated and she's going to be able to raise money for the general election. It doesn't matter it, this is a light red state in a normal year. This is not a normal year. Um, uh, for context, generic ballot, if it's about a D plus three, D plus four on the generic ballot, the Republican's going to win. And that's just kind of like the resting state of the electorate is in North Carolina is about an R is about a D plus two to D plus four in a normal year. And it's as much as to listeners what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, I mean, average Democrat, generic Democrat should win by a couple points. Essentially was what that means. So the generic means the names are not on there. You're just right. saying, are you going to vote Democrat? You're going to vote Republican right. this election, the generic. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so the, the, currently if the election were held today, it's about an R plus 10. It's not going to stay that way. It's going to be about probably about an R plus four to R plus six, which if Sherry Beasley is within five points of Congressman Bud uh, on, on election night, I will be impressed with the campaign she ran, but it's just not, it's not going to happen. Ted Bud's going to be the next United States Senator. And we've talked about this uh, privately, just to put it in context, when Republicans took over the General Assembly in 2010, it was an R2. And so now it's an R8, you think, statewide generic ballot? I, it'll probably settle into something closer to R plus four, R plus five, which would be, R plus five would be the most Republican election in recorded North Carolina history. Right. Bigger than 2010, bigger, bigger than, than 1990, uh, 2012, bigger than... 1994. This is going to be a, a watershed election for Republicans. It, it's hard to contextualize just how big that would have, that wave would be. So let's turn to the House side. Tell us your biggest shock election from Tuesday. On the Republican side, it went about as I thought it would. There were some really close races and that could have gone one way or another, and wasn't too shocked. I would, you know, with Representative Bowles, Representative Moss plus or minus five on either side. I wouldn't have been too surprised. Representative Hurley um, wouldn't have been too surprised with plus or minus five, and that's what happened. So we're talking about Representative Jamie Bowles, uh, Representative Ben Moss. That, mm. I, I have to say this. that was the, I was shocked. I had talked to Representative Bowles prior to the election, and he said he felt good. A lot of listeners know that Representative Bowles means a lot to me personally and professionally. It's just a tough loss he, for I mean, me. He's a really great man, and yeah. they both – Representative Bowles and Representative Moss are really good men, and I, yeah. I enjoy yeah. getting to know them. What helped Moss get over the edge? It, it, it's hard to say from my vantage point. Uh, Representative Bowles has represented Moore County for a while. Uh, Representative Moss was the first countywide Republican elected in Richmond County about eight, year, eight nine years ago. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So it, it just became a matter of a name ID race and the two respective counties from what I can tell. And I, I don't know everything that went on in the ground and I don't, I don't know if I care to know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, right. but it, it's just a shame that we're going to, we were going to lose one of them. Uh, but the, the biggest shocks from what I can tell, uh, I, I tweeted about this last night in Winston Salem, I think district 71, maybe 72, I, I get the two mixed up, but representative Evelyn Terry's, district where she's retiring there was a three-way primary to replace her including who i believe is her husband fred and someone named kanika brown who i had not heard of until a couple months ago 
won the primary, and she has a perfect score, a near perfect score from the NRA. Okay. In downtown Winston Salem as a Democrat, okay. and um, the the gentleman at the that works at the NRA that I know called a couple months ago and wanted to make sure that she actually. A Democrat? Did she mean to check that? Is she is she a Republican? Uh, like, I, I didn't recruit. I don't know who that is. And she got forty five to forty eight percent of the vote. She can be unopposed in November. She'll be in the General Assembly with a straw cowboy hat. Um, her celebration uh, tweet said "Thanks, y'all," and was her standing with her cowboy hat uh, in front of a backdrop. I'm really excited to get to know uh, soon to be Representative Brown. We saw voter turnout. Just shy of 20%. Notable participation among unaffiliated voters pulling a Republican ballot. I know a lot of that had to do maybe out west. There was this campaign, Madison Cawthorn. I think it's also a factor that the Sherry Beasley race was presumed to go her way. So folks pulled the Republican ballot. In an election in which you can get to a supermajority, But you also are trying to attract those unaffiliated voters because they're the fastest growing political party in North Carolina. Can you talk about that a little bit, Stephen? Give us a little peek behind your curtain. Well, I would say unaffiliated doesn't mean undecided. Mm -hmm. And unaffiliated are actually some of the most partisan people we have. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a really significant misunderstanding of what unaffiliated is. Most unaffiliated are not swing voters. They are going to they're going to look like the rest of the district around them and just because people more now more than ever in America self-select on where they live and the communities that they're in and they are attracted to communities with similar values to them. There is a significant rise in unaffiliated. The, the real story for me about Republican turnout versus Democratic turnout is it's essentially a mirror image of the intensity in 2018 hmm. where we had about a 20% shift to the left in 2018 based on what we're seeing in some of their early numbers that we're tracking it's a little upward of 20% to the right this go round. With this environment, that should be discouraging to Democrats. Continuing to look at the general election, can you highlight a few races we should be watching in the House? I'll, I'll hit a couple in different categories. I'm really excited about Jared Lowry in District 47. Tell us where that is. Robeson County. Yeah, that's right? Robeson County, yeah. and, and he's going to win, and he's going to win handily. This that, is the old Charles Graham seat. the old Charles Graham seat. Um, Jared's brother was just elected tribal chair for the Lumbee tribe. That's right. um, they are a really well-respected, well-known family. The Democrat that won the primary on Tuesday night said to the local paper that um, Jared is a really, really good guy, and he's going to be tough to beat in November, and went on. It was basically a backdoor endorsement of Jared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, J- Jared is a really phenomenal guy, um, with high character, really excited about that. Uh, District 5 up in northeastern North Carolina, currently held by Representative Hunter, that, that's going to be a newly competitive seat with the addition of uh, um, a new county to that district from last time. The way northeastern North Carolina is trending, it's been steadily one and a half, two points to the right um, every every single year. So we will see that that's, that's going to be a really interesting one. President Trump only lost it by a couple hundred votes mm-hmm. in 2020. To me, what's really interesting is we know that there's based on what we've seen in Virginia and New Jersey and, and some of the intensity and enthusiasm in the suburbs, I think Republicans have a really good chance to make a comeback in some of these urban counties. Yeah. Um, so like, say Wake and, and Mecklenburg, uh, that's going to, there's going to be a lot of attention paid to those. It seems like most of the, most of the swing seats are in the 
major media markets this time. So not necessarily, even necessarily Wake County, Mecklenburg County, but some of the surrounding ones. Uh, Representative Robert Reeves, who's the House Democratic leader, is going to be in a really, really tough district. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned the Democrats wanted more swing seats. Representative Deb Butler has a really strong challenger this November in a seat that um, Lieutenant Governor Robinson lost by, I think, six and a half or seven, if going off memory, maybe no more than eight. Mm-hmm. Um, in this environment, who knows? Yeah. Uh, so there, there, there's a there's a number of those races. It's a really wide playing field for us with a lot of pickup opportunities uh, and, and a lot of first-time candidates we're pretty excited about. As you're talking about that, I am thinking about when you recruited candidates and filing started and you were really highlighting your slate of candidates on Twitter. And it looked like you took the time to recruit candidates who were diverse for the Republican Party. Can you kind of talk about what that looks like in North Carolina and why you decided on that sort of strategy? I'm a conservative in like the um, in the sense that I, I, I believe that conservatism like the has answers for our problems in, in different areas, not just in certain certain contexts, but in a, in a lot of contexts. I, I, I also think that every individual wants the opportunity to succeed. They, they want freedom to some degree. I mean, everyone wants freedom, but they maybe how they define freedom is a little different. But conservatives um, believe in the dignity of individuals and the dignity of hard work. And that's not something that is just pertains to white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not involved in redistricting. I have no desire to be involved in redistricting. But listening um, to the, the streams and and um, the litigation and hearing all these different assertions about voting preferences, it just ticked me off. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were charging that there was a racial component in the redistricting. That's what mm-hmm. ticked you off. And, you know, I had these candidates that I've been talking to and, and early on, like I, I didn't know where the lines were going to be. So I, I hadn't made a whole lot of concrete progress with, with anyone but I knew that I had all these targets mm-hmm. in mind that were women, that were people of color, that were in seats that we were going to win. Mm-hmm. And it was just <laughs> really making me mad knowing that we had this slate that did not look like our current, current, current caucus composition, which is 69 white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I really, really love the people that I work with that are in our current caucus. But I also know that our party has a desire to not just have their faces be the face of the party, just be be white white people. It's part mm-hmm. of why the base of our party loves Lieutenant Gar- Governor Mark Robinson. Mm-hmm. So both parties are struggling it, historically with, are they going to be a big tent party, try to reach out to other demographics, even some ideological outreach, trying to get those unaffiliated. You certainly seem to be in the camp along with folks like Brent Woodcox and others that if you're going to win, ultimately, you've got to be a You've got to expand. You've got to reach out. Is is that what you're saying? You want your party, well, one, you would like to get super majorities. You would like to be in control, but you got to do it. It's a game of addition, right? The national level, it seems like neither party is necessarily interested in being a majority party. Right. right. Uh, and uh, I think the state level, I, I, I can't speak for the Democrats because I, I don't know what all goes on here, but... I know that our party at the state level is very interested in being a majority party and mm-hmm. being a, a strong governing majority that has wide support across um, different demographics and different areas. 
con- contrasting that with what happened in Cumberland County with Senator Devier's race, and when I talk about perfect being the enemy of good, mm-hmm. I- I'm not positive that the Democrats at this point in time are interesting. They're interested in actually doing what it is required to be a majority party. Representative Chuck McGrady, former Representative Chuck McGrady, perfect example of this. Um, there was room for Chuck McGrady in our party. There was room for him in our caucus. Um, Former president I, of Sierra Club. Uh, right. I'm, uh, yeah, very much a, had a lot of progressive, I'm putting air quotes around that view. There, so. was, there was not room for Representative Elmer Floyd mm-hmm. or Senator Devier mm-hmm. in their party. And Representative Elmer Floyd was voting for Democrats 95% of the time. And they ran a primary against him with someone who had just moved to North Carolina and they took him out. And uh, a member of the Democratic caucus still has the negative primary mail underneath the glass on their desk on the floor to intimidate people into crossing party lines. Do you, do you want to be a governing majority or not? Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm grateful that um, maybe some of the folks on the other side of the aisle are not interested mm-hmm. in, in doing that work because it makes my job a little easier. I think our state and our country would be uh, better off if both major parties were interested from top to bottom and being a, a majority, being majority parties, because they would be doing their job. To, they, they would be attempting to persuade people to their side rather than burn it all down. You don't have to answer this, but I imagine your biggest fear is a moderate Democrat, maybe right of center on fiscal issues. That's the last candidate you want on the ballot, right? A right of center on fiscal issues on a Democrat is uh, never going to win a primary. They don't exist. You know, 20 they, years they, ago, they were everywhere. 10 years ago. Yeah. They were everywhere. Uh, and I mean, that was their, that was the backbone of their leadership mm-hmm. as recently as 2010. It, it's hard to believe that Mark Bassnight's old Senate seat has been held by Bob Steinberg for, <laughs> for three or four cycles. I mean, like, you, and he won it by 11% in 2020. Uh-huh. I, I don't think they exist right now. Yeah. Um, certainly not in North Carolina. Um, is that because they don't exist or is that because they can't exist as candidates? They're, both parties have purity tests ideologically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are two nominally pro-life Democrats left in Congress. Mm-hmm. They're both going to be gone probably after this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be pro-life and be a Democrat running for office anymore. Can't be pro-choice Republican either, right? They're, they used well, to Well, Lisa Murkowski and that's Susan tr- Collins beg to differ. That's true. You're um, right about that. But, but there, there's just such a stringent expectation to follow the party line on so many things. And, and you, have to, you have to allow for people to disagree. Right. Um, and and there, are, there are things that we, you know, as a caucus... We want to work our differences out behind closed doors, but also, you know, let people air their grievances if they need to. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes a governing majority. Would I be putting you on the spot if I asked you, what do you think the General Assembly will look like the day after the election in November? What's, what's the spread you see? I would love to answer if I could. I, I don't know yet. I feel confident about our chances of winning a supermajority. I, I can't speak for the Senate because I don't know their numbers as well as I know ours. I think we have um, enough evidence to, as far as the Senate goes, we have enough evidence to say to say safely, don't ever bet against Phil Berger on the campaign trail. I agree. Um, they've got a really competent team that worked out their process a while ago and have been running that playbook to perfection for 
over a decade. So I, I believe in them and their ability to get a supermajority in the Senate Republican caucus. I feel really good about our, our team that we have in place in the house. And I feel really good about our chances to get a supermajority in the house, but I don't know. Is it going to be 73? Is it going to be 76? I, I, I don't know. If you had a magic wand and you could change something in our politics, what would it be? I felt long and hard about that because I knew it was coming and <laughs> I wanted to zag a little bit. Okay. Um, and this is not me trying to earn goodwill or anything like that. Media, Someone who's not yeah. trying to earn goodwill would definitely say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Earning goodwill with the people I'm about to say would not happen because of my partisan affiliation. But oh, okay. um, media members are criminally underpaid. As far as uh, informing the populace mm. and like the voting public, it's a disservice that the corporate media model is, is more interested in their bottom line than they are in actually educating the public. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I look at the news and our political team. There are a lot of really talented people over there and I'm not denigrating them. And that's not meant to sound like I'm criticizing them or their ability. And I, I really respect the, the intelligence and ability of the, the folks that are there, but there's not a whole lot of folks with tenure. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of folks um, covering North Carolina politics daily that remember pre-Republican uh, majorities. Um, there, there's not a lot of perspective on what happened before. And in some ways, there's more perspective by people inside the legislative building on what happened. And everyone's just, you know, every day is a brand new day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for other folks, for voters, that's certainly the case. You know, the memories are not always necessarily long. But I, I think we make it so hard to make a living. I shouldn't say we, but the corporate media model makes it so hard for uh, reporters with their beats to make a living. Uh, I mean, you know, how many how many folks have run the insider now in the last right. two, two years? Um, yeah. And that's a really valuable service. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we are, as a general public, are poor for um, the way that these corporate behemoths run these um, media companies. When I first started the General Assembly, that press room, it was full mm-hmm. of reporters. Winston-Salem Journal, Wilmington Star, Charlotte Observer, Alamance County. Remember Barry Smith used to uh, cover for the Times News, Kinston Center reporter. It's it's gone now. It's like three or four reporters that you s- see every day, mm-hmm. and then they're kind of in and out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, Stephen. B. Wiley, we appreciate everything you do in North Carolina politics. <laughs> Maybe not everything. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do. I really do. And, Some and I've known you for years now, and we're going to have you back on the podcast. Uh, our listeners would really find interest in how you got to this point in your career. So we're going to reserve... Other, their- other than the self-loathing. <laughs> <laughs> But we do appreciate everything you do in North Carolina politics. You, sir, certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. So we had talked about in a previous podcast how we had spoken with him 
about recruiting candidates. And he had put a huge emphasis on recruiting some diverse candidates for the Republican Party. And I think we saw that play out for the Republicans this year. The slate of Republicans that they had across North Carolina looked vastly different. Well, thanks to Stephen for spending some time with us. Uh, Very insightful. Good guy. Tweet Tweet of of the the week. week. This week's Tweet of the Week, again, is from Dawn Vaughn. She's at Dawn B. Vaughn on Twitter. And on the first day of session, she tweeted, good old NCGA house, never starting on time. In hashtag NCGQ news, Rep Hannig is wearing a turquoise blazer and bow tie. Everyone else is in darker tan suits. And everyone else included you. That's right. Me and Dan Gurley wore tan suits today. In fact, we had brown loafers on. The whole thing. We were matching. Wow. It sounds like you guys and a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. At the General Assembly, we don't get the variety of wardrobe that you see women wear. It's a lot of blue, gray, seersucker in the summer, mm-hmm. and these tan suits. That's right. I think that you could wear the same suit three days in a row, and I probably wouldn't notice. <laughs> That's right. I think I have worn the same suit three days in a row. You know, actually, in law school, the first semester, they make you stay after hours, and they give you, like, a full two-hour speech on appropriate clothing, and they tell you just buy, like, navy, gray, and black, and that's how to be professional. And so during law school, those are the only colors I had. Wow. So on Tuesday, you and I had this grand plan. We were traveling. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I told Brian it was an hour and 11 minutes to where we were going. Mm-hmm. And we needed to be there at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. What time do you think that Brian Lewis got to my house? I was thinking he would get there at 6.45. 6.55 is when I got there. Mm, a little closer to 7. Yeah. So I pull up and I put my car in your garage we should have taken my car but no we shouldn't have taken your car i think you're going to hear the story and no, you're going to realize okay. i don't think so I, I don't think so this is karma you, okay okay go ahead karma i didn't want to take brian's car because he refuses to drive with the top up and it messes up my hair sticks to my lips then my hair is messed up all day messes up your makeup it's just a whole thing he refuses to put the top up if it's raining i mean you see the point here it's just an uncomfortable ride that's why they invented the hairbrush and that's why it was all invented just for you to be able to ride in a car with the top down. So we ended up taking your... Your wife and I agree on this. Yes, it puts like rats in your hair. It's mm-hmm. just miserable. Mm-hmm. We get in your car. Yeah. And we're headed down 95. And we get a light that comes on that says... So it dings. Yeah. The car tells you yeah. you're losing pressure in the back tire. And then maybe a quarter of a mile later, we hear it. Yeah. Pop. And then, although we'll say this, it felt like a smooth ride. It was just sounding better. So you'll admit my car's a smoother ride. Very smooth ride. Very smooth ride. Pull over. We're on 95. And we're talking about the 7 o'clock hour, 95. Cars are going 75 miles an hour past us. Pull over to the side. Pop your trunk and look. And There's no spare tire. Zero. Zilch. So. We call a tow truck. Wayne Lee's towing in Dunn, North Carolina. 
Wayne Lee. Shout out to Wayne Lee. Wayne Lee. Second generation Wayne Lee. His they dad. They call him Jay. They call him Jay because he's a junior. <laughs> Wayne Lee's daddy has died. Wayne Lee is now taking over the company. And he says, I'm going to get somebody out there. He gets somebody out there. And we meet... Lucas. <laughs> Lucas comes. <laughs> Lucas is a wonderful man. He's very concerned about our safety. He uh, lets us get into the tow truck he gets your car up on the tow truck and we are headed to dunn north carolina we had such a good time in the truck with lucas that when we got to the tire place brian i went to let him out of the truck and he said i don't want this ride to end (laughs) we should say lucas really took care of us he made sure that we got to black's tire and done and they didn't have a tire so we had to go he said well, you could either pay us over the phone for the tow or you can come to the, <laughs> our business and we're like no we're going with you yeah we want to meet wayne lee in person because we talked to him on the phone and wayne lee is a good guy yeah so we pull up to this tow truck place and wayne lee is in the garage eating a sausage biscuit it was just a blast yeah so we posted a photo of us with Lucas on Twitter. We posted it Tuesday. So Lucas, fun fact about Lucas, he died for 18 minutes. He was dead for 18 minutes. He was in a terrible motorcycle yeah. accident yeah. five years ago. Has a plate in his head. He has a plate in his head. October 2nd, I think he said. Almost killed him. Did kill him for 18 minutes. Although we were disappointed about the tire, it really just made for a good day. It's nice to get out of Raleigh and meet normal people and talk to people. It was also a good reminder on a day where you've been seeing all these political attack ads and it was election day, but you're just around good people who are doing their jobs and worried about real things in life. And it was just nice to be in that setting for a while. While we were there, you know, I got a call from a client and she said, I'm having a bad day. And I said, well, we just blew a tire on 95, and we're at the wrecker place, and we're waiting on the tire to get fixed. She says, well, I'm sorry. I thought I was having a bad day. It sounds like you're having a worse day. And I said, actually, I am having a wonderful day. <laughs> I am here in Dunn, North Carolina, talking to Lucas about the wrecker business. Lucas is like 25 years old and just just a great guy. I will say, though, yesterday when we got in the car, I said, we're going to have a good day. Yeah. And, and we, we did. did. We did. We yeah. had a good day. It was a good day. Really appreciate the way they treated us. If you break down on 95 going through Harnett County, you need to call Wayne Lee's Towing Company. Back to your original comment about how you should have taken your car. We got a nail in the tire of my car. We would have gotten a nail in the tire of your car. Mm -mm. Oh, why? Karma. You disparage my car at every turn. I don't disparage your car. I love riding in your car. If we're moving a mile down the road in Raleigh and you're going 30, it's not a big deal. But if you're on the interstate and you're flying and my hair's everywhere and it's just like a miserable experience, I don't know what else to tell you. It's not a smooth ride. Hmm. I've never had a flat in my Mini Cooper. Oh, wow. Cool. This was the first (laughs) flat in my car. (laughs) Now karma's going to get you, sir. (laughs) Karma is going to get you. As Lucas said, it might be in 10 years.
years. (laughs) That's right. But karma will get you. Lucas did have some thoughts about karma. (laughs) He did have some thoughts. This is the thing. You can't invite us along. You can't pick us up without us doing a bit or... um, I never know what Brian's going to tell someone, what storyline, but we just learned about Lucas and it was a good time. Of course, they didn't know they were going to be podcast content, but just turned out well. Mm -hmm. You know, we mentioned it last week on the podcast. We're going to mention it again this week because we got a lot of responses that people are excited about the Growler returning on Tuesday, May 24th. That's next Tuesday, folks. So we will see you at the Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association on Person Street, right across from the governor's mansion. Yeah, there'll be plenty of food, plenty of beer, plenty of wine, plenty of non-alcoholic drinks, and also plenty of fun conversation. So we'll be there. Say hello to us. Say hello to Tim Kent. And thank them for... Once again, putting on the growler, one of the and best And making events. this podcast possible. And making this podcast possible. They've been great to us, along with the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the breakdown of elections this week. Listen to our long story about breaking down on 95 and <laughs> <laughs> supporting our podcast, talking to us about it, talking to other people about it, recommending it to your friends and colleagues. We really appreciate that. If you have some extra time, you can leave us a comment or subscribe and like the podcast on whatever platform you listen on. After this primary election and as we're entering into general elections, maybe you have someone you might favor or disfavor. And if you're wishing some bad karma upon them, maybe remember to do politics better. Remember to do politics. I know. I know what the line is. I'm just trying to decide how I'm going to get there today.